0: Uh, grateful for the worship team just, just leading us into, uh, into worship and just uh, really pr- preparing. I, I see so much of, of what the worship team does is sort of this, this rototiller that sort of cultivates our hearts in preparation um, for seeds being planted. And I, I think that worship also plants those seeds and waters them and helps them grow. And so I'm just grateful that, that they can t- sort of tune our hearts to be able to continue to understand and experience God's grace. But Dr. Tony Evans tells a story. Of two lumberjacks, an old one and a young one. They're both in the woods uh, one morning, beginning the process of doing their work. And the young one is feeling full of vigor and excitement, decides to offer a challenge to the older one. And that is, is that through the course of the entire day, how many trees can we cut down? And, and at the end of the competition, we'll see who the best lumberjack might be. So the old man agrees, and they begin their work. The young man, full of excitement and energy, begins to swing with all of his effort and might to continue to, to chop down as many trees as possible. The old man begins his work as well, but after every hour, he takes a break for 15 minutes. Swings for an hour, break for 15 minutes. It's a rhythm for the entire day. The young man won't stop. He's sure and confident that if he uses all of his might and strength to continue to cut down trees, it's going to be a a competition for the ages where he's going to win hands down because of all of his effort and work that he's put in. At the end of the day, they count how many trees they've been able to cut down, and the old man has a third more trees on the ground than the young one. The young one can't believe his eyes and figure out what actually happened, and so finally, as a act of humility he asked the old man how he was able to cut down so many trees by taking a break every hour for 15 minutes. The old man looks at the young man and says well after every hour sit down for 15 minutes and I'd sharpen my axe. The reality of that is somewhat true in the context of spiritual practices. Spiritual practices that we've been walking through are those things that we put into our life to sharpen our axe, to to move us to the place where God is continuing to do a work and we're realizing that what we're doing is prioritizing the spiritual elements of our life beyond like this young man full of uh, vinegar and excitement and just desire thinks that he can strong arm life by just sheer effort. And he's working with a dull axe. Imagine that that can be some of our stories in the context of life itself. We live in a world and a culture where things are impeding on us and and, and calling for our attention on a regular basis. Relationships, our spouse, our kids, our family, our work. There's so many things vying for our attention. And what are we doing? We're just swinging. And we keep swinging Hoping that somehow in some way we'll just get through the next thing and then maybe things will get easier. And we fail to sharpen our axe. I think what we need to consider in the context of these spiritual practices that we've walked through is is a reality of what the Lord is calling us to is a reorientation of our rhythms of life. And what I mean by that is that we need to find ourselves asking the question, how much of a priority is my intimacy with Christ? And when we know that, not just what, what we want uh, that to be our priority, but, but what decisions are in our lives, what practices are we a part of that are functionally moving us towards intimacy with Christ where we're trusting His strength, not our own. I think for many of us we we are trying to strengthen and fight our way through the challenges of this world and and feel like we're swinging with a dull axe we've looked at generosity we've looked at community we've looked at confession elements where we think about the rhythm of just god drawing us to himself through the acts of obedience that he's called us to but One of the most dangerous things of having a sermon series on spiritual practices is that we could walk away with a sense that we could do religious things and have the wrong motives or hoping that we just mechanically or have a formula of how things work and not get the outcome of intimacy with Christ. There's a level of motives that I think we have to look at that propel us to valuing our relationship with Jesus above all things. And yet I think there's often times that we struggle where we can do religious things and have them not have the outcome of deeper relationship with Jesus. And so then we get to the end of that story, and what do we say? I've prayed. I've gone to church. I've given tithes and offerings to the Lord. I've confessed, and yet... Nothing is different. What's going on? I think that leads us, at least in some avenue this morning, to the conversation about a spiritual practice that is a rhythm that is probably the least talked about spiritual practice that you can imagine. And that's that of fasting. The sense in which what we talk about when we talk about fasting is denying ourselves the physical nourishment and appetites to prioritize the spiritual to allowing ourselves the reality of what it means to sacrifice earthly temporal things for a small season to over and, and more uh, value the significant role of the spiritual things in our life. There's a lot of different reasons behind it that we're going to talk about this morning. Isaiah 58 is probably the most comprehensive chapter on fasting in the Bible. And so we're going to look at how the Lord helps us understand the significance of why this is a practice and what it calls us to. So the motives behind denying the flesh with regards to fasting, what are the implications? But it also moves into some of the wrong motives for why we would engage in these spiritual practices. Now I know for many we would say, well, okay, we talk about this idea of fasting and it all seems great. It means that you stop eating for a little bit of time and, and fasting and prayer in the Bible go hand in hand, and so I'll, I'll, I'll miss a couple of meals, and, and I'll pray, and, and everything will be great, and then hopefully everything will be fixed. But, but the reality is, is that there's a, a training ground that happens in our hearts with regards to why we fast, and there's numerous implications. But one I want to really uh, have you consider this morning is that the, the reason why we would deny the flesh is so that we can learn and grow intimately connected with Christ. That He's the one that's providing our strength to be able to go through the denial of the flesh so that we develop a track record of denying the flesh. So when temptation comes our way and we want to give into the flesh, we already have a backlog of reasons why and how we can trust Christ's strength in denying the flesh. It's going to be a theme that's going to come up in the next couple of weeks as Jared and I jump into the series that we're going to be dealing with, the taboo series on, with regards to the, the conversation about sexual sin and pornography. There's a reality of, of what that means, that as we, we fast and we deny these physical appetites, what we're doing is we're trusting the strength of Christ to be able to learn to say no when other temptations come our way and say the flesh doesn't rule me. Fasting helps us understand what's actually controlling us. And so why we engage in the practice of fasting is for the purpose of drawing more intimately with Christ, drawing more intimately connected with Christ. Here's a couple of things that I had come up with as I just looked at fasting in the scriptures. Whoops. Pretend that didn't happen. Uh, Abraham's servant, uh, when he was uh, seeking a bride for Isaac, fasted. Moses fasted on several occasions. Hannah fasted as she prayed for a child. David Fasted on numerous occasions. Elijah fasted after he won victory over Jezebel. Ezra, when he was mourning Israel's faithlessness. Nehemiah, when he was preparing to take a trip back to Israel. Esther fasted when God's people were threatened with extermination. Daniel fasted on numerous occasions. The people of Nineveh, including the cattle, involuntarily, no doubt, fasted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus, when he began his public ministry, fasted. Paul, at the point of his conversion, fasted. The Christians of Antioch, when they sent Paul and Barnabas uh, on their mission endeavor, fasted. And so what we get is this reality that, that there's a lot of reasons why the people of God are called to sacrifice physical appetites in order to prioritize uh, and, and recognize a spiritual hunger. So here's what happens. The reason why we struggle, often engaging in fasting is because we're used to satisfying our own needs physically, and we know what they are. We know when we're hungry, and we're aware of those things, and we know what we can do to meet our own needs. Fasting says we need the wisdom of thinking about the areas in which we're spiritually malnourished, and we need the Lord to do a deep work in us so that we can attend to that relationship above and beyond our own meeting of our own physical needs. There's so much in Isaiah 58 that I want to jump into. So biblical fasting is intentionally saying no to the physical for the purpose of deeper intimacy with God. I want us to have that as a definition. Biblical fasting is intentionally saying no to the physical for the purpose of deeper intimacy with God. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 58 as we walk through this together. I'm going to read the chapter for us. And and here's what Isaiah is compelled by God to do is to walk through... The significant ways in which uh, he's addressing heart motives. So there are some that are gauging in religious activities, i.e. fasting, with totally the wrong motives. And he's going to address it. And then he's going to call them to a reality of where their hearts are and move them to a place of understanding what biblical sacrifice and fasting looks like. Isaiah 58 says this, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and delight in, uh, to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness, and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. We, why have we fasted, and you see it not?" Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all of your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself is to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this a fast a day acceptable to the Lord? Is it not this is is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free And to break every yoke. I want you to circle verse six. This is critical as we think about the reality of what God calls us to, to practice the area of fasting towards intimacy with God. Verse seven Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke of uh, from in your midst, and the pointing of the finger... And the speaking of wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desires in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like watered grass like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations for many generations you shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of the streets to dwell in if you turn back your foot from the sabbath from doing your pleasure, O oh, my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor not your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talk talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride right on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, and for your mouth the Lord has spoken." So here you get this context where, where Isaiah is, is called to prophesy to the nation of Israel and talking about the reality of what their re- religious activities look like, and specifically with regards to fasting. He's communicating to them that, that their hearts behind and their motors behind the religious activities that they're engaging in is really ultimately all about them. That what he's identifying in their hearts is the wickedness of actually performing religious activities with the hope that they're going to get the outcome that they want. It's a dangerous conversation if we really look at the, the, the motives and the intentionality behind this text. It's communicating to us that followers of God can engage in religious activities with impure motives and doing what they want to do and hoping to get what they want and then somehow mischaracterize whether or not God's paying attention. It becomes all self-focused. And so when he moves us to this idea of conversation about fasting, he's talking about intentionally saying no to the flesh in order that what we can say is yes to intimacy with God. It's a reorientation of our lives and the practices of how we live and what we do to say, you know what? At the end of the day, what matters to me most is declaring to myself and to my family and among the nations that God is all I need and worthy of all of my affections. So when I partake of eating or all of the things that that God has provided for me, it's not because of my own ability, but because everything I have has been provided by God himself. So every morsel that I eat, every financial windfall that I get, every dollar or penny in my bank account isn't because I'm the hardest worker swinging with a dull axe. It's because God has afforded me to be in a place where I can represent the light to the world, and it is all a gift from Him. That is not a conversation we have on a regular basis. That we would think that everything that the Lord has given us is all his anyway. From the very food we eat, to the very jobs that we have, to the very church that we worship, to the very neighbors that are around us, to the very home that we live in, to the very jobs that we uh, have, to the very children that we minister to, to the schools that we work in. All, everything, gift from the Lord, and often we, we don't recognize it. So when we fast, what it does is it shows us what controls us, because what what ends up happening is we're tempted to to feed ourselves, we're tempted to think that it's about our own abilities or or our own desires, and that we can do these things and and just make the life that we want to live, and yet you look at Isaiah 58, and there's some really challenging components here. So uh, as as we look at, he, he tells them that what they're doing is that they're fasting out of a wrong heart and wrong motives that ultimately the reason they do it is for religious activity and personal benefit. They do it because they want God to do something. So it's, it's in, in a sense somewhat manipulative in saying, well, if I do this, then God owes me. And then he, he moves uh, to, to the, the way that you can analyze why that's taking place because the outcome of their religious activities are what? Verse 4, here's what he says. Behold, you fast, and here's what happens. You only fast to quarrel and fight <laughs> You're not loving people more as you intimately love God. What's ending up happening is you're just fighting with one another, and yet you're thinking that your fasting makes you more religious and more righteous than the person next to you. How sick and twisted. Right? That's, that's not the motive that God has called you to those things. And how else do you know that this is the case? Well, you, you hit with a wicked fist, fasting like this in your day, you're not heard from on high because all you're focused about yourself it's not that god isn't speaking it's that you've turned a deaf ear and think that religious activities afford you the opportunity to be more prideful and more significant than the person that you're sitting next to you and so here's what the lord says in terms of the reality of what choosing to deny the flesh really does many are convinced that the greatest problems in our life are physical and earthly so if you were asked the question this morning And you would ask, what's the greatest challenge you're facing right now? Many of us would say problems at work, a prodigal child that's kind of run away and living in sin, rejection and difficulty in the context of relationships. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with my life, and so I feel like uh, I'm uncertain about who I am and what God has called me to do, And so that all of our problems are earthly and and temporal. And and what God wants us to do is realize that our our greatest needs is one that's spiritual, that circumstances around us point us to the fact that we need more of Christ. And so in this nation, there are all these things that are taking place. And so what he's going to do is tear it out for us. First, I want you to realize the significance of the individual reality of what God is doing in you as we deny the areas of the flesh. And trust him for the things that we're prioritizing our relationship with God. And then it has implications for those around us and even the world. And, and then what we're going to do is we're going to end on what it looks like for us to, to have a pure heart as we fast individually for specific things. So here's what he says. and I love this part. I told you the to circle verse 6. It says, is this not the fast that I choose? So This is what God is desiring to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Biblical fasting humbles us before God and and moves us towards others. But here's what I want us to think about in this text, that part of the motive for fasting is to break life-dominating sin. That there are some... If not all of us in some way that are so captivated by things in our lives and so convinced that we cannot live without this thing. That we're convinced that that somehow in some way our story is always going to involve this said sin. And we've sought advice and sought counsel and worked through the realities of what's motivating those things. And i.e. this moves us into the conversation about pornography in a few weeks. Because there is that sense in one of the realities that we are so convinced that our appetites are what drive us, that in the process of those things, we engage in those appetites and realize that they control us. And in the process of controlling us, they become life-dominating. And in the process of those things, what, what Isaiah is calling the nation of Israel to is to fast and prioritize intimacy with God. And in the process of doing that, Realizing that denying the flesh and prioritizing the spiritual, God begins the process of breaking life-dominating sin. Like there is something so significant about thinking to ourselves, I'm gonna lay my life before the Lord and allow Him to do a work beyond what I can imagine. And in the process, I am going to willingly choose for a short season to stop feeding the physical to prioritize the spiritual. It's always combined with prayer. Fasting and prayer go hand in hand. But there's a sense in which many of us might be so captivated by life-dominating anger, by life-controlling sexual sin, by a total and complete confusion about who we are and how God feels about us, relationships and marriages that are just totally and completely in shambles, and we're not sure what to do when we feel like we've tried everything. And the Bible then moves us to considering what it looks like to deny the flesh and prioritize the spirit as a way to tune ourselves into valuing the spiritual and our relationship with Christ above all things. And part of that is that there's a place where God moves as his church and his people humble themselves and recognize that there are things in our lives that are controlling us more than Christ unforgiveness, life dominating anger life-controlling sexual sin. We know that they exist, and yet we don't talk about how the Lord moves us into those things, and so it's not as though, oh, if I just fast, then I won't struggle with this anymore. It's not about doing the mechanics of fasting. It's about having a heart that prioritizes intimacy with Jesus. And there are many of us that are captivated by life-dominating, life-controlling sin. And in the process of what God would be compelling us to as we think about spiritual practices is to allow or include the denial of the flesh and the prioritization of our spiritual relationship with Christ and allow him to do the work of breaking the bonds that we can't break on our own. We can't continue to expect that we will pursue intimacy with Jesus Christ with a dull axe. We sharpen it by allowing the word to have and do its work in our lives. Biblical fasting humbles us before God. And then look what happens. After that in verse 6, just think about life dominating sin and those areas of a yoke that they've been carrying that they don't need to carry because they're they're fasting in ways that is all about them and not prioritizing the work that the Lord is doing. And so denying the flesh and prioritizing the spiritual relationship with God. Here's the outcome of what he says happens. Verse 7. As followers of Christ fast. It has a direct correlation to moving in love to those around us. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Look at this for just a minute because I think that this is a critical part of thinking about these things often, even as the New Testament talks about fasting. You know, Matthew 6 says, you know, you don't want to parade it around and look all sullen like, oh, I haven't eaten in 24 hours. And, you know, that's not the point of fasting. The point is prioritizing our relationship with God and continuing to go on with our lives, but focusing in those moments that we would engage in eating to engage in spiritual prayer and commitment and relationship with Christ over Uh, a certain set amount of time. Some do it for 24 hours, some do it for a couple of days. The point is what we're saying is there's something around me that is so dominating and controlling my life that I can't see clearly, that I need to disengage from the physical, engage in the spiritual, and allow the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. It prioritizes the strength of God above our own, but then it moves us towards others. So when we are fragile physically, it gives us a keen awareness of those who are fragile around us. Right? That's what he says. He says, "If is it not so that you share bread with the hungry? That means you see the hungry. You bring the homeless poor into your home. You realize that everything that you've been given is a gift from God, and it's not yours anyway. And so what begins to be generated is a care for the poor, a care for the homeless, a, a recognition of the needs of the people around you, because you're tuned into the spiritual, because you're denying the physical. He says, when you see the naked, you cover them. When you uh, you not hide yourself from your own flesh. And then look what he says in verse 8. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall be like a spring. Uh, and your healing shall spring up speedily. That didn't work. I was... Anyway, your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. There's a protection. As we're prioritizing our relationship with God, we're realizing his sufficiency and his strength that has taken care of all of those things. Then you shall call on the Lord and the Lord will answer. Your, you shall cry and he will say, here I am. And then look what he says. At the end of verse nine. This, this I, I think should be at least one of the most penetrating parts of this text if you take the yoke from your midst the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness (laughs) what ends up happening is we prioritize the spiritual and deny the physical is we stop blaming the world around us for our problems we stop blaming others for the fact that we're struggling We don't make it about the wrongs of other people. We realize that God has positioned us to be a light in a dark place. So we cannot expect that God isn't going to move us into the darkness and life isn't going to be difficult. Like, we cannot just expect that the desire of God is a place of comfort and ease and free from problems. God tells us that He moves us into this place of darkness, and we realize our position before Christ and knowing what He's called us to in the midst of a, a world that is irreparably broken, and the only answer is Jesus. You need to be, and I need to be, in the dark places. For those of us who are committed to the cause of Christ, it moves us closer to the darkness, not further away from it. And so in the process of these, we become aware of the significance of those things. Denial of the flesh leads to the prioritization of the physical. Here's what he says in verse 10. Right, that You stop the blaming. And then here's where he moves us into. If you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, so, you're denying the flesh. You're prioritizing the spiritual. It's moving you to the, the people who are hurting most. And in the process of those things, then shall your light shine in the darkness and your gloom as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually. Look at this, verse 11. And satisfy your desires where? Help me out. It's okay. Where? Scorched places. This doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound like waterfalls and beautiful trees and, you know, Mai Tais on the beach. I mean, that's not what this sounds like. At least it doesn't to me. He's saying that in the most dry, barren places of the world where God plants believers who are prioritizing the spiritual and denying the physical and focused on the work of Christ, God will be the satisfier of all of their needs in scorched places. Here's what I think. Now I'll, I'll, I'll move away from here because this is more opinion than it is fact, okay? This is just my sense. But I think if the church and individuals were so gripped with the brokenness that we see around us and we were moved to humbling ourselves and denying the physical and prioritizing the spiritual, we would be on our faces in the parched land of our country asking for God to do what only God could do. And two things would happen. The church would be mobilized to be a light into the dark places and we would stop arguing about things that are ancillary to the gospel. And we would care more about the lost, poor, and broken and dying than we would about maintaining what we want to see happen. I believe that the church should be fasting for our country. I do believe the church and we as individuals should be fasting for our families. I believe we should be interceding for one another when you know and have been given windows into the brokenness of someone that you love or care about or even your neighbor, that your first solution is not to try and fix them, but to intercede for them, asking for the Lord to do what only the Lord can do, and even in the process, denying your own flesh and prioritizing the spiritual. Because the practice of fasting moves us to deeper intimacy with Christ, but it also moves us to deeper intimacy with brokenness around us. We would confess that God is the satisfier of all of our needs. Yes? And in the process of satisfying us in all of those things, it's, it's through a relationship with Him. He's the source of our satisfaction. That doesn't mean that we're going to God and saying, "Well, God, in order to satisfy my needs, here's my checklist. I need this much money in my bank account. I need to make sure that people don't interrupt my life this much. I want to make sure that I don't have to struggle with these things anymore. That's not what it's about. He's saying that he, through a relationship with Christ, is the satisfier of our souls. And because of that, we move to parched lands. We are in the most barren places. So it's not like we're looking for circumstances around us to be that which is the source of God's provision. God is the source of his own provision. Does that make sense? He's moving us towards prioritizing God alone above everything else. So when things around us don't work out, we say to ourselves, you know what? Christ is the source of my hope. His grace is enough for me. And the outcomes are not what I'm driving for. I just want more of Jesus. Denial of the flesh prioritizes the spiritual. So here's where he finishes up. He says, the Lord guides you Satisfies you in scorched lands. Makes your bones strong. So again, God the source of your strength. And here's what he says. Remember, parched land, scorched land, it's barren, it's dry, it's desert around you. You can't look for anything. It all feels vacant and empty. And you shall be like a watered garden. Like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. In the midst of, not to carry the analogy too far, but in the midst of a desert, Christians sold out for Christ and prioritizing the spiritual become an oasis in a world that is dark and dying. There's something that we have been given that needs to be shared and is worthy of all of our affections and all of our time. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations for many generations. You shall call, uh, you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the streets. He tells us that there's a reality of what God does as His church and those who are followers of Christ prioritize the spiritual above and beyond the physical. What we're saying is the goal is not that my needs get met by things in this earthly realm but that the source of my hope and the substance of who I am is found in a relationship with God. So all I want is more of Him. Let me just finish up with this. Psalm 69, verse 10. If you have your Bibles, why don't you jump over there with me. And I just want to read briefly this Psalm as, as it begins to lay out for us the significance of what compels us to fast. And so when we say fasting, we're saying denying the physical and prioritizing the spiritual. What that means is is taking a break from just thinking about nourishing our physical bodies. And so for, for many of us, the first start would be to say, you know, I'm going to take this day and I'm going to fast, meaning that I'm not going to eat for this 24-hour period. I'm just going to I'm going to focus every time I find this hunger pain that begins to grow inside me. I'm going to move myself to prayer and seeking God to do what only God can do. And I want to be in tune and my flesh will be fragile. But in the process of that, I know that God will be strengthening me and growing me in those things. Some of it is because of life-dominating sin. We're motivated to fast when you have tried to say no to the flesh and it hasn't worked. So you say, I'm going to deny the flesh. I'm going to prioritize the spiritual. I'm going to ask God to be my strength to break the yoke of this life-dominating sin. Then we do it as we intercede for others, and we do it as we move towards thinking about the world around us and the desire for the gospel to go forth. Here's what Psalm 69, starting in verse 10, says. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit at the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. (laughs) What a great image. Here's what he's saying. A person sold out for Christ, who who engages in this idea of of the spiritual practice of fasting, denying the physical, and, and prioritizing the spirit, it doesn't make sense to the world around you. And so they make jokes about it. What, you're just going to stop eating and pray and somehow everything is going to be great? And, and, and drunkards, people who are filling their life with all of this liquor and just being crazy are making songs about those who are prioritizing a relationship with God. You're a joke to the world because it doesn't make rational sense. The point is, is that God is moving and strengthening us when we're prioritizing Him above all things. Here's what he says in Verse 13. But as for me, my prayer for you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up and the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to the abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from me, your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul and redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and you know my shame. You know my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I look for pity, but there was none. For you, and for comforters, but I found none they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. <laughs> so here's the image that's happening in this song, trying to solve spiritual problems with worldly answers. That's what's happening, right? That's going to all of these places, and he's embarrassed and shame because of sin or brokenness or struggle or challenge, and he's trying to fix all of the problems that are around him and and justify what happened to him or excuse some of the pain and the sin and the struggles and nothing's working he just becomes an example of what not to do he pours out his heart before god and realizes that the source of the solution for the deepest wounds in his heart is the work of god in his life not the answers from earthly people around him and so He moves to to considering what it means to humble ourselves in the context of fasting. So let me give you a couple of things, and I'll finish with this, that I think should motivate us to consider uh, the spiritual practice of fasting. I've given you a few. Let's say you're a college student. Speak to you guys, and you're like, what is the Lord calling me to do with my life? I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go, what classes I'm supposed to take. I don't know what my purpose is. Say that that would be a place where you would humble yourself before the Lord Lay down, deny the physical, prioritize the spiritual and say, Lord, have your way and show me and let him speak. Give yourself the opportunity to prioritize the work of Christ your life and see how that practice continues to engage in the Lord providing clarity. Relationships. There are people (laughs) and and relationships that are fractured in the context of even our body. There's a place of saying, Lord, I want to prioritize the spiritual because what it helps me understand is actually the things that are controlling me. And sometimes it's unforgiveness. Sometimes it's bitterness. Sometimes it's life-dominating anger or life-controlling sin. And so if those are places where you have tried everything to attempt to fix the greatest problems that you face, the question is, why not move to considering what it looks like to lay our lives before God and deny the physical and prioritize the spiritual? Take a day in the next week or month and give it over fully to the Lord. Deny the flesh. Prioritize the spiritual and see how God's going to work. Be open and humble yourself to hear from Him. I think, like I said before, interceding for others. Maybe there are those that you know that are going through some of the worst things that you can imagine and you don't know how to help. Intercede for them by prioritizing the spiritual. Think about your church. I think it would be appropriate to fast for the work of God here in this body. Something that I engage it. Care about God's Holy Spirit doing whatever God can do and want to be in tune to that. I think it's appropriate to fast for the nation. There's enough tumultuousness, bitterness, and anger that's rising up that the division is as great as I've ever seen. In the scorched land, the light shines when the church of Jesus Christ prioritizes him and not other things. Consider it this morning as God might compel you to move into those directions. Let's pray.